from Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Mike from Subtext. Mike, it's really great to have you on. Hey, Brad. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited for today's discussion. So, Mike, to kick us off, can you tell me a bit about yourself as well as your company and what you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. My name is Mike Donahue. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Subtext. I'll give you kind of the high level on Subtext and then I'm sure we'll talk through the details. But Subtext, we're a subscription-based text messaging platform. Really, when we had originally conceived of the idea around Subtext, we had looked at for media companies and artists and athletes and creators, the amount of time and money and love and effort and resources that went into building up these huge social audiences only for a lot of those same people to come to the realization that they were renting the relationship with their biggest fans. So we set out to build a platform to create real, owned, direct, meaningful connections. And fortunately, that's what we've done. I love it. It's amazing. And so what is your story? How did you get into this space and decide like, hey, I want to be in this space in this spot? Yeah, well, you know, Brad, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to lead a technology team that deals in SMS. Uh, no, my team and I, the other co-founders, we had actually been running the tech and media incubator for a company called Advance, big sort of diversified media company for years. And we were exploring sort of MVP solutions to issues that we saw on the market. And Subtext was actually our fourth product that we had taken to market. And we built the MVP, we got it into a place where we could start testing it and deriving like meaningful KPIs from the really early stage. And we were blown away by it. So we doubled down and invested and sort of spun it out as, as an individual business. And here we are today. Love that. Let's talk about uh, growing a company. So what sort of tactics and strategies have you used to grow the company, find product market fit and scale and all that stuff? Yeah, this is totally anecdotal, but like when I say we build MVPs or we were building MVPs at the time, I mean, they were very M, capital M, three Ms. We start typically with like a hypothesis, right? And we say, you know what, here's an issue that we see in the marketplace, either a consumer issue or a potential client issue. What is the easiest way to be able to solve this? And how can we employ sort of defensible, unique technology in order to do it? So, you know, I described the problem that we were solving for previously. And in this case, we looked at it and we said, okay, well, there's a variety of ways that we could create more meaningful interaction between, let's say, creators or media companies and their fan bases, but none felt more direct or more personal than SMS. This is the way that you communicate with friends and family, right? So we said, okay, that's the hypothesis that we want to test that consumers and let's say creators or media companies or artists want to be able to communicate with these fans in that medium. Let's try it out. And we literally put up a splash page. We got connected with an amazing reporter in San Francisco. His name is Joe Eskenazi. He covers the intersection of tech and politics in San Francisco, which tons of content there, obviously. And we said, hey, Joe, we've got this concept. We think your readers would want to hear from you in this medium. Will you test it out with us? And he was like, sounds crazy. Let's do it. So we did it. And we took it to market with literally like a splash page where people could enter their phone number and a little description of the idea that like Joe was going to be texting them like insider updates from 
tech and politics in San Francisco and they could answer back. And we were blown away by the initial response, a thousand plus people signing up in a really short amount of time. And we said, okay, there's demand, right? So there's consumer demand. We think there's client demand because we're a B to B to C business ultimately at the end of the day. And that's all well and good. And we're going to communicate these messages and do everything that we promised. But now really, really early on, we need to stress test the business model. We did that and we told this audience, hey, look, it's been great communicating with you like this. It's now going to cost $4.99 a month or $3.99 a month. I forget what it was. And again, we were blown away. I think 40% of the people that were receiving the free text from Joe became paying consumers. And we we're like, wow, that conversion rate's really, really strong. Think about the amplitude that we could get with big media companies or artists or athletes. So that was it. I mean, we stressed, we come up with a hypothesis. We come up with a minimally viable way to test it. Then we stress test any associated business models and kind of scale up and build from there in a sustainable way. I love that. How do you pick that price? I know if you like jog too high, then you obviously you'll get less signups. If you jog too low, you'll have something on the table. Yeah. So much of it is kind of trial and error at that stage, right? You have sort of a baseline, right? We know what Substack charges or what some people on Patreon charge or whatever it's going to be. So there's a baseline, but the interaction's totally different, right? It's much more intimate. You know, you're not reading like long format email newsletters or something like that. We tested it, we tweaked it, we did promo codes, we reviewed the data and everything. And then now, obviously, based on the scale that we operate at, we have a pretty strong understanding. But there are scenarios too, where somebody comes to us and like blows us away. I'll tell you a story. We have a guy, the calls himself the MMA shark. So he's a MMA sports handicapper, right? And he had a really loyal community on social, didn't have a huge following, a couple thousand people, I think in total. And he came to us, I forget who we got connected, but he reached out and he's like, Hey, I want to build my business on subtext, right? And we're like, sounds amazing. Tell us about your business. And, we were, and what do you want to charge? What do you think is good? And he's like, I'm going to charge like $110 a month. And we we're like, well, that's like 20, 30, 40 X what we would normally recommend. And he's like, let me just give it a shot. And so we'll let him try it out. And fast forward to today, I think he's going to gross probably $450,000 on the platform this year by sending out some text messages and interacting with his community. So you learn along the way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really amazing. Have there been any lessons learned? Any things are like, oh, hey, we've noticed this landmine you should avoid as you're scaling, as you're figuring out pricing and product market yeah. fit and all that. Yeah. Any like, oh, we learned this lesson or we learned to steer around this thing or approach this in a different way or any of that sort of thing? This maybe is not like going to be the, the most popular way to phrase it, but like, there are such things as like ugly babies, right? And like, mm -hmm. I think sometimes like there are scenarios where if you're a founder, let's say, or a co-founder and you're building a business, it's really, really easy to get sort of wrapped up in like the grand vision of like what it is that you want to do and think to yourself, well, you know, version 2.0, version 3.0, version 4.0, like that's where we'll figure out monetization. That's where we'll figure out product market fit. But for now, I just need to live my vision. And the truth is you need to test way, way earlier than that. And you need to be 
candid with yourselves, your co-founders, your consumers, what's working and what's not, right? Is that most people, especially in early stage alpha tests of businesses, they're not, they're rooting you on, right? They don't want to tell you that things are wrong or they don't like it or your baby is in fact ugly, but you need to be the person who looks in the mirror and makes that decision, right? And you can do it quantitatively, you can do it qualitatively, but the earlier you come to that realization, the better off the, the business going to be. I love that. Yeah, I think I've noticed similarly, if you ask your friends what they think of your product, they're obviously going to want to tell you that, oh, it's really great and stuff, but it might not be. So I think for sure you want to see if someone that doesn't know you, doesn't like you, you're just kind of an unknown. Will they actually sign up? Will they pay you for it? All that stuff. Yeah. I mean, they're your friends for a reason, right? I think the question is like, are you being sort of cavalier enough to put this out of the market and figure out what the market is telling you and, Absolutely. you know, how much are you with? Love that. So obviously creating content, creating a strong brand. Building up this presence online is an important part of growing, building a company. I'd love to hear a little bit more about stuff you guys have done on the marketing front, on content, maybe on LinkedIn, all that stuff to grow the brand, grow the company. Yeah. One of the things that's always been the most successful for us, independent of the medium, right? If that's going to be on social, if that's through our own sort of marketing materials, email, even text themselves, right? Like we set up our own campaigns where like we provide tips and we drink the Kool-Aid and we chat with clients in that way. But the most successful thing that we've found both for ourselves and our clients is telling really compelling winning client stories. So not just sort of in a very elegant way, showing off like boxcar metrics or showing off sort of the beautiful things that can come along with one of these campaigns, but like really digging into client stories, because I think those are the things that tend to resonate the most with folks is, you know, if you're a marketer, you want people to be able to draw a parallel between themselves and sort of the scenario that, you know, you're solving for as a business. And I think telling those winning stories is a really effective way to do that. And, you know, I found LinkedIn, it's a really great tool. I think conventional wisdom, maybe a couple of years ago, would have said that you spend a lot of money on the meta platforms, you spend a lot of money on Twitter, you get this degree of amplification that maybe you wouldn't get anywhere else. But for a business like us, particularly that's focused on B2B efforts from a business development standpoint, I'm not sure there's a lot that ends up being more effective than LinkedIn save for there's a lot of like niche newsletter products out there for certain audiences that I also think do a good job. So. Absolutely. What's the format of those client stories? Is that like a short video? Is it a blog post? Like what, is yeah. it, how do you post those? Yeah. I mean, we'll do videos, we'll do blog posts, we'll do like animated walkthroughs of some of the communication that they're sharing on the platform. I think a visual representation of what's happening usually goes a long way, right? In tandem with sort of a written metrics driven, like breakdown of what's happening or the success that that client is having. But there's a lot of different ways to do it. The only advice I can give is to try a bunch of different things, see what's working, and then to start to reinvest in the things that drive the most ROI. Absolutely. I love it. So what's one thing you wish you would have known when you first became a CEO that you know now? Wow. 
one thing I wish I knew when I was becoming a CEO that I know now is the incredible importance of the team around you and the team's willingness to be candid with you as a leader. It's easy to hire people that agree with you, that have you know a similar background to you, that have a similar vision to you. It's incredibly valuable, I think, to surround yourself with people that have a diverse views on sort of the problem that you're tackling, maybe diverse backgrounds in terms of the way that they've trained themselves or the way that they've learned the business. So the more voices you can get in the room in a constructive way, the better off you're going to be. And I would just make sure I would recommend any CEO um, listen to every single person on the team, take the time to understand what they're seeing, what they're hearing from their clients, what their experiences. I love that. And then related to that, if you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that advice be? That's a great question. I've always described to the concept of betting on yourself. I think oftentimes it's easy to get comfortable and to not make decisions that seem risky. It's, it's simple to be risk averse. But I think in whatever undertaking you're involved in, making sure that you, know, you not only continually invest in yourself, but that you take that investment and you bet it in places where you think you could see success. And even if you didn't see success, places where you know that you would learn a lot from any sort of failure, I think is really good message to instill in folks. I love that. I think for myself too, whenever I've taken a big risk or stepped outside of the comfort zone, that's when the best things always happen. It doesn't always work out, but 80% of the time something great happens and it's like, wow, that was scary to do, but glad I did it. And having the appropriate perspective on even what failure looks like is really crucial, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think early on as an entrepreneur, I expected like, oh, it's going to work out right away and overnight this is going to be easy and stuff. But now I think older and a bit wiser, it's okay, probably try three or four different ideas on something and then one will work and all that. So I think to your point, it's very important because if you set those expectations of like, oh, we're going to have to try a few different things, that's really important. Exactly. It's so rare that you have a black and white indication of failure or success. It's always going to be grayscale in terms of performance and the success of what it is you're undertaking. You need to understand it as a spectrum to a degree. Absolutely. So as we wrap up here, any last words of wisdom, piece of advice you have for your industry, for those listening, for other entrepreneurs out there? The best piece of advice I can give you is to believe in your vision, but at the same time, make sure that you are being candid with yourself and your team and your clients and your end users in terms of what it is you're hearing from the market, right? It's like, we're going to put a lot of stuff out there. And if we're not listening, if we're not learning from every iteration of our product, every iteration of our offering in the marketplace, we're missing a lot of opportunities. I think the people that ultimately succeed are the ones that do the most listening and probably the least talking. Absolutely. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for joining the podcast today and sharing all your wisdom and insights. Brad, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on.